Heed. Welcome back to Running Unopposed. I am uh, one of your two hosts, Rose. And I'm Gabe. Yes, you are. And we really got to stop doing break, like uh, breaks and skip weeks in the middle of two-parters. That's really bad form on our part. But, you know, it was finals, so I had stuff to do. Sorry, listener. I wasn't able to complete the research on time. Yeah, we will be, a, uh, we'll be more consistent from now on. Yeah, we'll do our best. Anyways... Uh, we are covering part two of our boy, Luis Posada Carriles. Uh, in part one, we covered him and Orlando Bosch's adventures in Miami. Uh, there are many failed terrorist attacks. There are few successful terrorist attacks. Uh, the Bay of Pigs invasion. Their time in Venezuela and, uh, their time in Chile. And now, uh, fresh out of being bailed out of jail by the cute by the Cuban-American National Foundation, uh, you want to know who recruited our boy Luis Posada Carriles? Richard Nixon. Well, it was the 80s, so no. Reagan. Specifically Oliver North. Huh. Gabe, Interesting. have you ever heard of the Iran-Contra affair? My favorite affair. Yeah, it's definitely my favorite affair up there with like uh, JFK and Marilyn Monroe. No, I don't actually rank affairs, but yes, I've heard of it. I rank affairs, too. Um, yeah. I like to rank Reagan administration presidential scandals in my spare time. Do you really? No, I don't. You would, though. That is something I would do, but no. I'm not the, I'm not quite that insane. You would do it as a bit. Maybe that can be a bonus episode. We can rank Reagan administration major scandals. I like the idea of us having a watch mode of, of one of those watch mojo videos, but we <laughs> sound like the guys from BuzzFeed Unsolved. Top 10 Reagan Administration International Arms Trafficking Scandals. <laughs> so, Luis Posada says, let's fucking go, boys. He's way into this. Uh, up until then, he's subsisting off of whatever uh, Jorge Mascanosa and the Cuban-American National Foundation give him to live on monthly. But now he's back on the American payroll. Uh, he gets a fake Salvadoran passport which is at least his fourth fake fat passport of this series. Uh, I kind of lost count. Uh, I like because how we just have a, a ballpark about the false passports, but we don't know how I many. I genuinely could not figure out how many false passports this man had. He had so fucking many. Are um, you sure not covering Paul Manafort? But um, psh. <laughs> Nice. Uh, so he becomes the coordinator for flights that deliver supplies to the Contras. So because I'm assuming most of our listeners are not 50 years old, uh, I'm going to give a lot of background on Iran-Contra as quickly as I can. So, 1979, the Sandinista National Liberation Front overthrows the Somoza family dictatorship that has run Nicaragua for about 40 years. Uh, not everyone was thrilled about this. A lot of former members of the army under the Somoza dictatorship were especially not thrilled. They formed the backbone of the Contra movement, short for Contra Revolucion or Counter Revolution in English. Uh, you also saw something similar to what happened in Cuba following the revolution in, of 59, where a lot of people, some of whom were even decently high up, became disillusioned in some way with the new government and either went into exile or joined up with the militant opposition, in this case, the Contras. Now, the Somoza family were American-supported, and the Sandinistas were socialist. Their exact ideology was, slash is, because they're still around, uh, pretty complicated and kind of hard to pin down, and kind of outside the scope of my expertise, if I'm being totally honest. Uh, but they were definitely aligned with the militant international left. 
So therefore, the American government didn't love them. The CIA starts funding the Contras. In 1982, Reagan passes, uh, signs an order giving the CIA $19 million to continue funding them. Later in 1982, Congress passes the Boland Amendment, which says that the U.S. can't fund the Contras, quote, for the purpose of overthrowing the government of Nicaragua. However, it does allow funding the, per- the Contras for other reasons. Uh, this is what we in the history business call a distinction without a difference. The point of the Contras was to overthrow the government of Nicaragua. So, of course, any money that goes to them is in service of that goal. This was the whole idea. This compromise came about because, even early on, the U.S. public was against funding the Contras. Uh, Then, in 1984, Congress passes another amendment, confusingly also called the Boland Amendment. Sometimes. Sometimes it's just called nothing. Um, That says no U.S. intelligence agency can fund the regular military, any paramilitary, or regular groups in Nicaragua. The Reagan administration says, okay, fine, you got us. But not really. Yeah, they, they uh, but, but behind the scenes, they start cooking. Uh, and uh, essentially, their line of reasoning becomes, well, the National Security Council is technically not an intelligence agency, so therefore, it's still legally allowed to fund the Contras. So that's that the doesn't contra- sound shady at all. Yeah, so that's the Contra part of Iran-Contra. Now we need to go back to 1979 again to talk about the Iran part. The same year the Somoza dictatorship is overthrown, the Reza Shah, the Pahlavi dynasty of Iran is overthrown in the Islamic Revolution. Uh, Pahlavi is American-backed as well, and Iran pre-1979 was heavily reliant on America for equipping its army. Uh, However, during the revolution, 52 people at the American embassy in Tehran are held hostage. Shockingly, President Carter is not thrilled about this, so he declares an arms embargo. Uh, it should also be noted that Reagan-adjacent apparatchiks passed along the message to Iran that they'd get a better deal under Reagan than Carter, so they should hold on to the hostages. This was long suspected as like a conspiracy theory, but it was confirmed by the New York Times, uh, I want to say last year? I think it was this year. I think it was like two yeah, or three months ago. Yeah, it might have been just a few months ago. I genuinely don't remember, but I remember reading it and I was like, wow. I was like, how is this not bigger news? Yeah, change the course of American history Definitely for the worse. Yeah, like, they, they literally... This is... It's literally, like, you know, Nixon sabotaging the peace talks levels of bad. Yeah, although Reagan was far more damaging in his policies than Nixon. Reagan had at least some... Or Nixon had at least a few good domestic policies. I don't know if Ronald Reagan had any. That's true, yeah. Reagan at least founded the EPA. Or, I mean, Nixon. I was gonna <laughs> say, Reagan def- was not the president in 1970. Yeah. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm sort of a Marxist Nixonianist. Uh, I believe in um, Nixon-style universal health care, uh, a strong EPA, and uh, also the government should shoot student protesters. That's my ideology. That is a joke, listener. Please do not get mad at me. <laughs> Please do not email postpod at gmail.com with criticisms of Rose's jokes. That's a very fake Ramaswamy take us. Government should just shoot student protesters. That's going to be the official GOP position. That's already kind of the official GOP position. There was that guy in Texas who just fucking ran his car into people, and Greg Abbott is, like, trying to figure out how to pardon him. Remember when Ron Santos passed that law, making it easier uh, for people to run over protesters with their car? Yeah, no, the, the GOP is pretty openly just the party of murder. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's like that Eric Andre meme, where it's like, doesn't he know we're going to kill him? 
And that's that's the GOP right now. They're just like, yeah, we should. It should be legal to kill people I don't like. It's uh, America's in a bad state, folks. The one comforting thing, though, is knowing that Ron DeSantis will never be president. Yeah, but Trump might be, and is that better? Not really. Yeah, well, Trump is more incompetent, though, so just less will get done. Yeah, that's true. That's true. All right. So, uh, this strategy works. Uh, Carter's re-election campaign is pretty damaged by this, and Reagan wins in 1980. Uh, He continues the arms embargo when he becomes president, even after the hostages are freed. Uh, and the U.S., well-funding the Contras, is using its diplomatic clout to try to convince the rest of the world to put an arms embargo in Iran, too. Uh, also in 1980, uh, a little country called Iraq under a little man named Saddam Hussein. I don't know he if was not little. He was, per- he was like 6'2". Oh, was he? All right. Under, yeah, Saddam uh, was a tall guy. Okay. Under an obscure Iraqi politician named Saddam Hussein uh, starts a war with Iran. That's also important. So now it's 1984 again. The Boland Amendment says no more money for the conference. This is partially because there was an election in Nicaragua in 1984, which the Sandinistas won by a pretty sizable margin, and international observers considered it a relatively fair and free election. Uh, But as we said, Reagan felt the National Security Council wasn't bound by this amendment, so he orders them to keep funding the Contras. However, he wants to avoid using regular government money, since that might violate the amendment. So they look around for a way to get some off-the-books money. Iran provides a natural opportunity. Uh, They have all these American-made weapons and planes and gear in need of replacement and repairs because they're at war with Iraq. So the national security advisor, a little man named Robert McFarlane, proposes selling arms to Iran. Everyone laughs him off, except William Casey, the CIA director. Uh, McFarlane sends his people to the Prime Minister of Israel, Ariel Sharon. Uh, The initial scheme was that Israel would use uh, an Iranian exile arms dealer to ship weapons to Iran, and the U.S. would supply Israel with the same amount type of weapons, and then Israel would pay the U.S. back. Uh, Oliver North hears about this, and he says, why do we need this this Israeli middleman? This is too complicated. So he gets rid of Israel. Uh, I mean, he cuts Israel out of the plan. He does not get rid of the nation. I was going to say, say, isn't Israel still around? (laughs) Israel is still around. I, I don't know if you've heard of them. <laughs> uh yeah. Uh so he says, let's just sell the weapons at a markup and give the money to the Contras. Uh there was also some arms for hostages stuff going on as Iranian backed groups like Hezbollah were holding American hostages. Uh we don't need to get into that right now, because it's complicated and there's I only had so much time to do this. Regardless, while this is going on, our boy Luis Posada is working directly for Felix Rodriguez to coordinate these flights. Felix Rodriguez is another uh, CIA agent. Uh, Posada, he's back on the American government payroll. He's getting $3,000 a month. Travel, housing, everything comped. All right? He is living that high life. He is a fucking agent. All right? He's like, he's having the coolest life ever. I wouldn't go that far. Doesn't seem like a ton of money, but still a decent amount. $3,000 a month when when your flights, car, and housing are all paid for? In El Salvador in the 1980s, you could probably live a pretty good life. Oh, he was in El Salvador. Okay. Yeah, he wasn't in America. He was in El Salvador. Wait, what year was this? The 80s. Okay, I'm just going to enter 1985 and see what $3,000 was back then. Specifically in El Salvador. That's $8,000 a day now, which still gets you pretty far in El Salvador. $8,000 a month? Yeah, I think you could live pretty comfortably off $8,000 a month in El Salvador. 
And that's still now. Imagine what it was like in the 80s. Yeah. Also, yeah, $8,000 is more than I make in a month. So, you know. True. Same. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, so, uh, he is... I actually found his fake Salvadoran name this time, which is a rarity. Usually you cannot find the name of his fake pa- of Luis Posada's fake passports. Uh, this time it was under the name Ramon Medina. That's a good fake name. I like it because it references the city of Medina, one of the holiest cities in Islam, which like ties into the whole Iran-Contra thing. I'd like to think that was intentional. I don't think that's what he was It doing. definitely wasn't. They definitely just picked a Hispanic name. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, well, so also well undercover, he made friends with a lot of high-ranking Salvadoran army officers, uh, as well as people involved in... Should I be diplomatic and call them paramilitaries, or should I be more honest and call them death squads? <laughs> I think I'm going to be more honest. Uh, yeah, they were lot- death squads. Yeah, um, the Salvadoran government officially denied connection to these death squads, but they were usually covertly funding or even arming them. Uh, sometimes their members were literally former military or police, uh, or even active duty military or police. Uh, the Salvadoran government, aided by these death squads, carried out countless massacres of civilian and international workers. Uh, If you've heard of the assassination of Oscar Romero, who was a priest trying to provide aid to the poor, uh, they did that. They killed him. Uh, They were also infamous for raping nuns. So uh, that's pretty much who Luis Posada was friends with around this time. Didn't they also uh, kill children? They did kill children, yes. They killed pretty much, they killed, raped, and pillaged pretty much everyone in El Salvador. Who wasn't like explicitly government aligned? The Salvadoran Civil War is really horrifying, although not the most horrifying civil war we're going to talk about in this episode. Guatemala. Yeah, that's going to come up in a bit. Oh yeah, that was was that more was that worse in terms of the like the level the brutality of the massacres or just because it went on for thirty six years? Because it went on for thirty six years. Yeah. Either way, not good. Yeah. It was sort of on and off for 36 years, but yeah, um, we'll talk about it in a bit. So Posada had no trouble moving amongst these guys. He was in his element hanging out with the guys who rape nuns for fun. Doesn't seem like a good guy. Well, yes, he isn't. But, you know, they were trafficking arms to the Contras, so he was willing to put up with it. Yeah. Because he really, you know, he's now on the American payroll. He doesn't pick his job. Really, he was just following orders. (laughs) Doesn't make it better. No, it doesn't. Uh, listener, if the American government ever orders you to do some arms trafficking with guys who rape nuns for fun, uh, I would recommend getting a new job. That would be my advice, listener. Yeah, and as far as I can tell, it wasn't like he was being held hostage, so he could have just no. quit if he really wanted to. No, he could have just quit and go be... He could have gone back to being a private detective like he was in Venezuela. But no. Or just do anything else. Yeah, or just do literally anything else other than hang out with these people. Um, however, things were about to go public. Sorry, one sec. In October of 1986, the Sandinistas shot down one of these flights and captured an American on board. That American immediately spilled the beans. Whole operation, American-funded, being directed by Felix Rodriguez and Luis Posada Carriles under fake names. Posada, he claims he was actually supposed to be on that flight, but just missed it. I don't know if I believe that or not. But it would be pretty funny if his career ended being executed by the Sandinistas. That would have been a pretty funny way for him to go. <laughs> I mean, considering the craziness of his life, it would be oddly fitting. Yeah, right? Like, I, I feel like that would be fitting. Uh, something funny is Posada was actually called to testify in Congress over this. 
but he refused to go because uh, he didn't want to come back to America. Uh, and we'll see why later he didn't want to come back to America. Uh, he heavily judged Felix Rodriguez for actually going and testifying over the Iran-Contra affair. Uh, instead, Posada immediately booked it to San Salvador, the capital of El Salvador, with some loyalists and trashed the safe houses they were using. He wanted to make sure they left zero evidence. Uh, he didn't succeed in this because uh, the Iran-Contra affair became kind of a big deal. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of this. Uh, the Iran-Contra affair? A little bit. I explained it earlier. I don't know if it, you know, I don't know if you've heard of it, listener. Uh, if you haven't, uh, go back and listen to the first 10 minutes or so of this episode where I explain it. Uh, and if you happen to be my parents, just, I don't know, remember when it happened. Or my parents. That's true, yeah. Yeah, which is probably about half our listeners, so. <laughs> like a third, I think we've expanded. That's true, we have that one guy in Thailand. That is true, and we have Gavrilo. Speaking of, dude in Thailand, hit us up. I want to talk about the king of Thailand with you. Or just like any Thai politician. I, f- I, I hear Thai politics are crazy. They just elected a guy who might get cooed by the military. Thai politics right now are actually super interesting. Yeah, the military carried out a coup, and then they held an election for an elected guy who, like you said, may get a, another coup. Yeah, so listener in Thailand, running on a postpod at gmail.com. Come on. We'll let you do a fake name. It's chill. Even if you want to do just like a text interview, all right? I'm curious. All right, uh, plugs aside. Um, to avoid getting arrested and hauled before Congress against his will, uh, you want to know what Posada did? Uh, no. Do, uh, you don't want to know? Okay, we can end the episode here. Wait, actually? <laughs> no. Oh, of course not. Okay. I have like four more pages. Okay, fine. If you insist. Yeah, um... Yes, uh, we do not have the silent podcast, though. We are running on a post. We are the talking podcast. Unfortunately. <laughs> yes, it, not unfortunate. I like talking. No, but we should have, like, a gimmick. Our gimmick is uh, that I'm transgender. That's our gimmick. That's not a gimmick. That's just a fact. How many other podcasts, ha- how many other history podcasts are hosted by a trans person? I'm just saying. I'm a gimmick, baby. Well, most history podcasts, I feel, are hosted by the History Channel, where everyone who works there is 35 years older than us. That's true. (laughs) Yeah. I should start cosplaying as, like, a 57-year-old white man. That'd be cool. I like the idea of you, but you're just ironically trans, but not transgender. You're trans-aged. I do kind of wish I was, like, 45. Why? I don't know. I think it'd be fun. I think I'm going to... I'm excited to like get older. I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna age gracefully. But I feel like. You, but like you'd probably be in a nursing home if you were 25 years older. No, I wouldn't be. <laughs> I'd be like. I wouldn't even be 50. Well, you'd be married, and like that's bad enough. What do you think like, I'm that's... gonna be like trap? Do you think I'm gonna be like a trad wife? Is that what you think is gonna happen to me? No, here? but I'm just saying. Like, if you're <laughs> married at like 45, like you might as well just be in a nursing home. Like your life's over at that point. <laughs> My like you're stuck having like a, you're stuck having like a great spouse and like cool com- overachieving kids and stuff like that sounds terrible. My parents are married and they're quite happy with each other. They seem very they seem to really like each other. I'm failing to see the problem here. 
Well, they're in an emotional nursing home. No, they live in a nice apartment. <laughs> I said emotional nursing home, not a literal one. Okay. I'm going to tell them you said that. They listen to this. I don't think they'd care. Your mom likes yeah, that's, me. That's true. My mom loves you. <laughs> Your mom likes me more than she likes you. That's honestly probably true. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to leave this in just to see if she catches it. I'm curious now. She'll catch it, but she'll be like, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I'm just going to get a text being like, Gabe was so real for that. <laughs> <laughs> in like two days. <laughs> and I'm going to completely have forgotten, but then I'm going to be like, what? And she's going to be like, from the podcast. And I'm going to be like, God damn it, Gabe. I hate you. <laughs> Anyways. You hate uh, me not because of who I am, because of who you want to be. I don't want to be you, Gabe. You kind of do. I do? I feel like every time I come up with a mark, you're like, damn, what's this guy on and can I have some? Is that a thing I do? I don't know. I feel like subconsciously. <laughs> I feel like you and I have very different ways of viewing our relationship. <laughs> well, that's going to happen when only one of us is cool and the other one is you. Ah, oh, Jesus. Okay. Anyways... What were we talking about? So, you want to know how Posada, uh, Luis Posada, got away with... Not really, uh, no. Okay, alright, we can just keep... You can just keep insulting me, that's fine. Alright, signing off. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be funny if we just end the episode there. 26 minutes. Yeah, sure, fuck it. You want to know how this episode episode ends? No. Okay, bye. That's the last episode of Running on a Post. (laughs) I need to go to therapy for your incessant emotional abuse. It's called banter. Yeah, sure it is. It is called banter. Okay. Anyways, um, so to avoid getting called before Congress and arrested, uh, Luis Posada went with the old tried and true, getting a new fake passport. We're up to at least number five by now, in case you're keeping... For those of you playing bingo at home. Is he Paul Manafort? Cue real-time intro song. <laughs> do 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 is that the real time? Is that the real time with Bill Maher song? That's how they do it on Chapo, so I'm just assuming it is. I haven't looked up the actual intro. We should start. We should steal Bill Maher's intro. That'd be funny. Wait, should we really? Yeah, we should just steal Bill Maher's entire format. We should start a talk show. We should, no, we should you just talk, talk like show? Bill Maher. You want to do a talk show, Gabe? We already kind of have one. No, but like a you know like a public affairs channel. I want to be a public intellectual. Do you really? Yeah, I think that'd be fun. Yeah, why not? Just get COVID in Serbia first. (laughs) I'm going to visit Gavrilo and we're going to go clubbing and I'm going to get COVID. (laughs) Before or after your medically induced coma? Well, my medically induced coma is in Russia, which is kind of hard to get to right now. That's fair, but it's probably easier to to get there from Serbia than America. Yeah, well, first I have to become a Serbian citizen. True. Which will probably require training the Serbian army in Aikido, like Steven Seagal did. Wait, did he actually do that? Steven Seagal is a legal citizen of the Republic of Serbia, yes. Because he trained them in Aikido? Because he trained the Serbian army in Aikido, yes. Never thought I'd say this, but Steven Seagal is kind of cool. He's not. He's No, he's not. He's bad. He's also, like, super pro-Russia for some reason. He's a Didn't weird he guy. Also, doesn't he also have sexual misconduct allegations? Oh, so many, yes. I was going to say, I take it back. He's not cool. Yeah, we should do an episode on Steven Seagal. In, like, ten years when people forget who he is. Yeah, that's true. So anyways, uh, Posada, under this fake job, uh, he gets a job for the Guatemalan government as a security expert. 
Uh, Guatemala, one sec. Guatemala, at this point, is in decade three of its four-decade civil war, and they wanted to bring in the big guns. Specifically, the new president, Vinicio Cerezo, uh, wants to wind things down a little bit. He brings in Posada to essentially be his spy master, uh, make sure the army doesn't coup him and either jail or kill him as he tries to dismantle the death squads. Uh, there were two attempt coup attempts against Cerezo, but I guess Posada did his job because they both failed. Uh, but Cerezo was not able to fully uh, dismantle the quasi-genocidal apparatus that had been unleashed upon Guatemala. Actually, not quasi-genocidal, regular genocidal. Uh, and then he lost re-election, so it became the next guy's job in 1990. Wait, they had democratic elections at this time? So it's during the Civil War, sometimes, yes. I was going to say, that's surprising. Um, I don't know how democratic they were, but they did have elections sometimes, yes. But if the guy in power lost re-election, they have to have been at least fairly democratic. Yeah, um, during the like late 80s under Cerezo, the Civil War kind of wound down a little, and then it kind of amped up in intensity after he got out. Before winding down for good. Yeah. Um, yes, we might return to the Guatemalan Civil War at some point, as it is a fascinating and horrifying qual- uh, conflict, which, and essentially it was a government-sponsored uh, campaign of genocide against the indigenous Gu- Gu- Guatemalans on and off for about 30 years. It, it was bad, folks. Anyways. Yeah, that's uh, sort of the specialty of the podcast of these past few weeks, I feel. Yeah. Just like the worst people in Latin America? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Although next week we're going to be covering a guy in America and Africa. Ooh, fun. Exciting. Sorry, my mic. I tipped it over. Yeah, you're good. Uh, by the way, do you remember how Posada was a Cuban exile? Yes. Well. That's the one was... thing I've been able to keep up with on this episode, not going to lie. Well, he was still doing that. He was still, uh, his friends in Miami were still funding him as he attacked Cuban installations in Honduras. Uh, this lasted uh, until February 28th, 1990, when Posada was getting out of a car, and he was shot 12 times by men he assumed were Cuban intelligence. Did he die? No. Wait, 12 times? Yeah, he somehow survived. Did they fire 12 bolts, or were, did 12 bolts go in? 12 bolts hit him. Oh. He he got shot more times than 50 Cent and survived. How many times did 50 Cent get shot? Nine. Oh. He, this man got shot so many times. <laughs> and somehow survived. Yeah, it was like, at a, like, they, like, that's like an entire clip. That's larger than a clip for some guns. We should change know. his name to Rasputin. <laughs> no rule. If you're going to get shot that many times, you have to fuck the Russian princess. <laughs> Whose idea was that? The Republicans? <laughs> I hate Bill Maher so much, dude. He sucks so bad. No, he's um, kind of fire. <laughs> we should see if we can get Bill Maher on the podcast to, like, defend Dan Coulter or something. Can we please... We've already made the agreement that if we go on... That if we get invited on Rogue and we're going, can we make the same deal with Bill Maher? Oh, absolutely. I I feel like Bill Maher is probably transphobic, right? That just seems like a thing he'd be. I don't know. I don't think he talks about it that much, honestly. No, but I think if you asked him, he would say something horribly transphobic. I guess. I don't know. I, I think haven't my fa- about it that much. My favorite Bill Maher moment will always be when Ben Affleck, of all people, had to tell him to stop being racist against Muslims. Is Ben Affleck racist? I don't know. I mean, he's from Boston, so probably. Is that a thing? People in Boston are racist? Yes, absolutely. Like, more so than the people in other cities? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Huh. Have you ever been to New England? 
a few times, but I don't just immediately ask people what they think about, like, Hispanics or whatever. Yeah. You don't ask people to rank the races every time you meet them? Crazy. No. That's actually, that's the traditional Boston greeting. You have to rank all the, you have to list off the Spanish racial classification system in order to uh, get let into most pubs in Boston. I don't think that's true. It's absolutely true. Uh, listener, if you're ever in Boston, uh, make sure you memorize the Spanish racial classification system before you go bar hopping. Actually, it gets harder. <laughs> it gets harder to remember it once you're already drunk and trying to go to your second or third bar. So I would recommend keeping it on flashcards so you can study it mid drinking. Studying while drinking is a uh, is an interesting vibe, I will say. <laughs> well, not yeah, one but... I wish to emulate, but just a vibe. Like you've never done that not... before. You never, like, gotten drunk and then been like, oh, fuck, I have something to do tomorrow and had to go back and study? No, I don't study while... I I don't study while drunk. I drink after I do the test. That's very valid. Yeah, that's probably smart. What do you mean probably? It is smart. (laughs) Yeah. All right, well, now that I've been exposed, uh, once again on this podcast... uh, So, I think it's possible... That the people who shot uh, Luis Posada were Cuban intelligence, but I think it totally could have been the Sandinistas, Salvadoran guerrillas, or Venezuelan guerrillas, as he'd successfully pissed off all of those people. Wait, Venezuelan guerrillas? Weren't they under a right-wing government at that point? Yeah, but there were left-wing guerrillas. I guess, yeah. Kind of like how in Colombia the government was right-wing, but there was still FARC? Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, Posada was fully convinced they were Cuban, though, because a Mossad contact told him so. And yes, listener, I did try to figure out who the Mossad contact was. I really couldn't, which made me so sad. It was the guy from Hitman. <laughs> there's a there's a Mossad agent in Hitman. I don't know if he's if he's a Mossad agent, but the Israeli guy in Colorado. Oh yeah, no, he isn't. He's like a former Mossad agent. Yeah. What's his name? I don't remember his name. His name is like Ezra Berg or some shit. It's well, something super Jewy. Let me look up Hitman Israeli character. I looked, there was one return that said Uzi Hitman, but that guy was not a Hitman. I'm sorry, there's an Israeli guy named Uzi Hitman? Yeah, he was just a singer. Holy shit. Yeah, Ezra Berg, you're right, that's his name. I played a lot of Hitman in my day. What does Uzi Hitman sound like? Now I'm curious. Miyata Shakaj Ichi. What the fuck? What? I just opened up the video, and it was, you know, because I'm not logged in, uh, it was, I'm getting the default YouTube ads, which are so much weirder. Uh, this one is, did you know this five-minute ritual any man can do to shrink his enlarged prostate overnight? For a second, I thought you were going to say shrink his penis, and then, but that I realized that didn't make sense, because no ad has ever got tried to convince a man to shrink his penis. Because it's usually the other way around, right? This is kind of good. This Uzi Hitman guy, kind of fire. Really? Yeah. Interesting. He does. He makes like singer songwriter, like guitar shit. It's kind of good. Not anymore. I think he's dead. Oh, is he tragic? Yeah, died in two thousand four at the age of fifty two. Oh, that's sad. R.I.P. He had a heart attack at the age of fifty two. Damn, he must have been huge. Anyway, yeah, Uzi Hitman sings to kids, Volume Two. <laughs> Wait, is that a real thing? <laughs> it's an album that popped up when I looked for it, yeah. Huh. <laughs> Maybe Hitman means something different in Hebrew. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe Hitman means, like, nice guy in Hebrew. I don't know. Yeah. Although it's an English word, it's not a Hebrew word. 
Yeah, that's true. Anyway, so Masad, Luis, what's what's going on? Yes. So now we're at the late nineties. Um, Gabe, are you familiar with anti? Gabe, are you familiar with anti-Castro terrorism? No. No, you've never heard of anyone doing terrorism to try to overthrow the Cuban government. I've heard of plots, but I'm not really that familiar with them. I know about Bay okay. of Pigs and a few of the assassination attempts or assassination ideas that were floated, but I, okay. I don't have in-depth knowledge. So obviously there was the CIA plots to kill Castro. However, outside of the CIA directly, there were a lot of groups that had varying degrees of American backing, uh, such as Alpha 66, Cuban Power, and Omega 7, which were all made up of deeply committed hardline exiles who engaged in so much terrorism that I cannot possibly go into it. Um, Omega-7, as one example, bombed the Venezuelan consulate in New York City in 1975 uh, because Venezuela was warming up to Cuba. Uh, and what the, di- the, the difference about these groups is that the reason I haven't really covered them is that they mostly operated within the United States and in Cuba, whereas Posada was mostly working in Latin America. So they sort of had the same goals, but they were in completely different places. Gotcha. Uh, another thing Omega-7 did was kill a Cuban diplomatic attaché to the United Nations in 1980, which was the first time a UN official has had ever been assassinated in New York City. And as far as I know, the only time it's ever happened. In general or in New York City? Uh, the only time a UN official has been assassinated in New York City. UN officials have been assassinated in other places before. I was going to say, I doubt Very that famously, Doc Hammerskjold. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, no, his plane crashed, I think. It was shot down by Belgian intelligence. A guy admitted it. Really? Yeah, well, we'll probably do an episode on it at some point. It's a pretty interesting hmm. story. <laughs> However, a lot of these attacks were not directed at Cuba itself. Uh, because Cuba is an island with a one-party state and a highly competent intelligence apparatus, kind of hard to sneak terrorists in. So uh, that's why most of the attacks we've covered have been against Cuban-friendly targets rather than Cuba directly. Uh, however, the anti-Castro hysteria of the uh, was starting to wear off. It was the 90s. The Cold War was over. Cuba matters less. Also, crucially, the Cuban economy, without Soviet foreign aid, tanked. Cuba, uh, sort of similar to North Korea, was heavily dependent on foreign aid from the Soviet Union, and with the Soviet Union no longer existing, the economy uh, had a lot of problems. However, Cuba, unlike North Korea, had an easy solution right there, tourism. Uh, so they say, so they built a bunch of hotels and like casinos, and we're like, all right, let's, let's open up to the world, let's get some foreign tourists coming in, and that'll revive our economy. And it sort of worked. Uh, Cuba became a hotspot vacation destination for Europeans who wanted to go somewhere cheap in the Americas. Uh, as well as, like, for people in Latin America who want to go somewhere where they wouldn't have to learn another language that was, like, you know, kind of nice still. Yeah. Uh, so Cuba became a hotspot vacation destination. This really pissed off Luis Posada. How dare people vacation at an island ruled by Castro's iron fist? So in 1997, he does... Uh, do you want to guess what he does? Uh... Let me guess, tries to do a terrorist attack, but it fails because instead of launching a cannonball out of a cannon, he launches himself out of a cannon? That would be funny, but no, he actually successfully bombs several hotels in Cuba. Oh, that's a lot less fun. No, it's not fun at all. Um, the bombings themselves were carried out by mercenaries paid by Posada. Now, I know where you're, what you're wondering. 
Where did Posada get the money to hire mercenaries? He wasn't independently wealthy. Well, Cuban exile circles. Specifically, our old friends, the Cuban American National Foundation, led by Jorge Mascanosa, the man who bailed Posada out of jail last episode. That's sort of the interesting thing about Posada. He was never independently wealthy. He was always working with other people's money. And shockingly, people who uh, finance terrorism don't keep records of the fact that they're financing terrorism. So it's hard to pin down exactly how much money he received from the Cuban-American National Foundation, but multiple former members of the group have said Posada was on their payroll. Uh, and also, uh, the Cuban-American National Foundation refused to condemn these terrorist attacks. So, you know, pretty obvious who was behind them. Yeah. Uh, Posada was also in touch with another group of Cuban exiles, this time in Union City, New Jersey. Uh, this group didn't have a formal name. However, um, Omega-7, the guys who carried out those bombings I mentioned a few paragraphs ago, also operated out of uh, Union City, New Jersey, and kind of Hudson County, New Jersey, more broadly. Uh, they call it Havana on the Hudson, because it has a large Cuban population. Jose Miguel Battle, the Cuban-American mob boss from last episode, uh, also lived there for quite a while. And even Bob Menendez, current U.S. Senator from New Jersey, is from the Cuban-American community of Hudson County, New Jersey. Uh, he was he was actually born of pre-revolution Cuban immigrant parents, though, so he's technically not a Cuban exile. I was going to say, Bob Menendez is 70 or something, and also yeah, he's his, from here. Yeah, he was born in 1954, which means his two Cuban parents... Which means yeah. he was born, bef which means his parents immigrated before the Cuban Revolution, which was not. Yeah, they left in 53. Yeah. So he, uh, yeah. So he's technically not a Cuban exile. He's just Cuban American. Um, I won't go into Bob Menendez as he's definitely going to get an episode at some point. Really? Yeah, the whole corruption scandal, dude. But I feel like he's too well known. He might be too well known. That's true. Jose Miguel Battle is probably getting an episode at some point if we ever mm. want to cover the Cuban American mob. That sounds kind of fun. So anyways, one of Posada's business partners, a fellow Cuban-American, tried to tell the Guatemalan authorities that Posada was organizing these bombings from Guatemala. And you want to know what the Guatemalan authorities did? Uh, nothing. Yes, that's correct. Nothing. He then Wait, tried actually? To... Yes, they did nothing. <laughs> uh, he then tried to tell the American authorities. And do you want to guess what the American authorities did? Nothing. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> so oh. even now, well into the 90s, the U.S. is not actively sponsoring Luis Posada anymore, but they're tolerant of his activities. Uh, Posada claims he has a friend who was an FBI agent. Uh, the FBI denies that, obviously, because that would make them look pretty bad if an active FBI agent was friends with a wanted international terrorist. But it certainly would explain how he avoided capture so many times. <laughs> Uh, even another kind of insane tidbit is that just showed that turned into kind of an international incident is there was an Italian tourist who was killed in one of these bombings, uh, like an Italian tourist to Cuba. Uh, and when asked about it, Posada said, and I quote, and this is not a translation. He said this in English. The Italian was in the wrong place at the wrong time, but I sleep like a baby. Huh? Just zero remorse for killing that dude. And yeah, as I said not... earlier, the Cuban-American National Foundation refused to publicly condemn the hotel bombings. Their statement was basically like, yeah, it's not great, but it's, 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 but Castro's worse, and that's the real focus. It's not great, but it's not bad enough that I care. Yeah, that was basically the response. Um, even after two mercenaries were arrested and sentenced to death by Cuba, uh, and like, pro and like, you know, admitted in their confessions that, you know, they were paid by Posada, 
uh, the, no one condemned it. Uh, although their death sentences were later reduced to 30 years in prison. So, yeah. Good, because I think Cuba got rid of the death penalty in the 90s, something like that. Which is good. Yeah, I don't don't quote me on that, but I think Cuba got rid of the death penalty at some point. I think they have it. I could be wrong. Let me look up oh, Cuba death penalty. It's oh, okay. le- it's legal, but it's barely used. And the last executions were in 2003. Oh, okay. All right. So I was wrong. They didn't get rid but of According the death to penalty. Wikipedia, at least. Oh, okay. Weird. All right. Well, chuck up an L for Rose, listener. Very tragic. Anyways, in 1997, four operatives loosely linked to Posada were stopped by the Coast Guard near Puerto Rico and arrested. Uh, you want to guess what they were trying to do? Snuggle guns? Sneak into Cuba and kill Castro. Oh. Because what else would they be trying to do? Even though Castro was like 100 years old at this point. In what year? Even though uh, 1997. He wasn't that old in 19... Yeah, yeah, I guess he wasn't like ancient. He was probably like 75. Yeah, probably. Posada says, uh, no, that wasn't me. I'm far more professional than these guys. Uh, at some point, I genuinely could not find the exact year, but it was uh, after 1997 and before the year 2000, Posada moved to Panama, specifically Panama City, the capital of Panama, under yet another fake name and passport. This is number six or seven? I'm really not sure. I, it is so hard to keep track of this man's fake passports. There's just so many. Every time I think I have all of them, I find a new one. <laughs> So I'm just going to say six, and I think that's right. That's kind of funny. Yeah. Um, in late 2000, he's stopped by the Panama City Police, <laughs> who find... Uh, you want to guess how many pounds of explosives he was carrying? Can you give me a ballpark? Uh, no, just guess. Above a thousand? No, lower, much lower. A hundred. Higher. Two hundred fifty. Pretty close, 200. Oh, okay. Uh, he wasn't carrying it on his person, because obviously that's a lot of his was, but he, like, had them. Yeah, uh, plus not... 200... Walking around carrying 200 person. pounds would be pretty difficult. Yeah, I was gonna say. Yeah. Anyways, um, not coincidentally, Castro was visiting Panama City around that time. Uh, Castro was supposed to give a lecture to an auditorium of college students... And uh, that was going to be his chance. I don't know how powerful 200 pounds of dynamite is, but I'm assuming it's enough to blow up an entire auditorium and then some. Uh, So I'm going to assume his plan was to kill all of those college students along with Castro. Yeah, it doesn't seem like a very good guy. Yeah, because like if you were trying to just kill Castro, it seems like you could do with like a pound of dynamite. Yeah, I was going to say 200 pounds for one guy seems 200 pounds seems like you could probably bring down the whole building. Although I don't actually know. Or at least, powerful. like, you could do, you could do, you could take out more than one guy, I feel. Yeah. I was to say, people get killed by grenades, and those things are not, don't weigh anywhere near 200 pounds. Grenades are, like, a highly concentrated explosive, though. Dynamite is a little different. Yeah, but still, my point, yeah. my point still yeah. Oh, yeah, 200 pounds of, explosive of dynamite is still a fuck ton. It would definitely be enough to blow up the room. Uh, one of his co-conspirators was a man named Gaspar Jimenez, who I only bring up because uh, you all know whose payroll he was on. Uh, Luis Posada Carriles? No, the Cuban-American National Foundation in Miami. Oh, right. Luis didn't <laughs> pay people. No. Um, but this guy was literally arrested with Posada with the explosives, and he was literally an employee of the Cuban-American National Foundation. Uh, that should give you an idea of how the CANF actually felt about terrorism. 
and uh, they were pretty much fine with it. <laughs> Posada did the Cuban exile version of converting to Islam in prison by renouncing terrorism and saying he was framed by a Cuban intelligence agency. Wait, you wouldn't if you were framed though. I feel like you wouldn't need to renounce it. Well, he said he admitted to the other stuff. He just oh, said this gotcha. one specifically was a frame job. Gotcha. Also, I'm so mad that joke didn't land. I was really proud of that. <laughs> Whatever. What was the joke? The Cuban exile version of converting to Islam in prison. Oh, oh. And Yona, people raised $200,000 for his legal defense, by the way. A lot of that fundraising was done on Miami area talk radio, uh, which was <laughs> completely supportive of him. Like, the, the, he had the backing of his community 100%. How conservative is Miami talk radio? Insanely. Speci- especially on Castro and, like, Cuba stuff. Not surprising. Yeah. Um, however, he doesn't spend that long in prison, as the outgoing Panamanian president pardons him and his co-conspirators in 2004. Uh, she said it wasn't at the behest of the Bush administration, but uh, I'm going to say that's a lie. Because they, she was quite close to the Bush administration, and that's and uh, that seems like a thing they would ask. Anyways, two thousand five, Posada comes full circle. Like every Cuban exile before him, way back when, he requests political asylum in the United States. He's finally back in America after several decades. Uh, Venezuela makes an extradition request, but it's denied because the Bush administration says he will be tortured if they extradite him. Which is, um, the Bush administration being concerned about a foreign citizen being tortured is uh, a little ironic. I was going to say, it feels like a first. Yeah, that's, uh, we found the one person the Bush administration thinks it's wrong to torture. It's a guy who blew up an airplane full of teenagers. Yeah, truly a shining example of personal growth uh, for for, for our boy George Bush. Not really. No, it was just blatant hypocrisy because Luis happened to be on our side. Yeah. Um, Hugo Chavez got really mad about this, and he mentioned Posada by name in a speech at the UN General Assembly in 2006. Uh, 2007, uh, Luis Posada gets arrested one last time for a crime that he's never been arrested before. You want to know what it was? Isn't he like 80 years old at this point? Yes. You want to know what he did? You want to know what it was for? It was for something way less cool than terrorism. Tax evasion. No, weirder. Immigration fraud. Oh. Uh. Specifically, they say he lied on about the fact that he was involved in the 1997 hotel bombings in Cuba on his asylum application. They also said he lied about coming on a boat, not a bus. Crucially, he was not charged with terrorism by the U.S., inflaming Cuba and also Venezuela, uh, where he had, you know, done terrorism. <laughs> a judge actually rules in his favor, somehow, but then the Fifth Circuit Appeals Court rules against him. Finally, in 2010, at age 82, he stands trial. Once again, the Cuban exile community raises thousands upon thousands of dollars to fund his legal defense, once again led by the Miami-area talk radio shows, a lot of which are in Spanish. And somehow he gets off. After spending 50 years as a terrorist, a drug trafficker, an operative for like six different governments, uh, arguably being complicit in genocide, he doesn't even get convicted of immigration fraud. He moves back to Miami and lives to be fucking 90. And then dies. He does die, yes. He dies in 2018 peacefully at, quote, a government home for veterans. Because he was technically a U.S. Army veteran. Because he got trained at Fort Banning. Even though he, and was involved in Bay of Pigs. 
Okay. Uh, although the Bay of Pigs was before, yeah. Uh, Castro actually died at age 90 as well, two years before Posada did, and the last time Posada was seen in public was at a restaurant cel- in Miami celebrating the death of Castro. Hmm. Feels um, good. Yeah, it's interesting. Castro died a hero in Cuba, and Posada died a hero in Miami. Uh, I'm sure he was... they both got what they wanted. Yeah, kind of, I mean, not really, because I'm sure Posada was... Posada got to outlive uh, Castro, which I'm sure he was happy about. But, like, then Castro's brother took over, so I, I feel like he probably wasn't that happy. But he's gone now. <laughs> he is gone, yeah. But, yeah, I I feel like he was probably not. He, he failed. Like, he never got to, you know, establish an American-friendly government to Cuba. Yeah. Raul uh, Castro's 91. Yeah, he's still kicking. He outlived his brother somehow. Uh, his Posada, brother was older. That's true, yeah. Uh, I wonder what he felt about his life's work. No one really asked him about that, like, in his later years, because he was sort of reclusive. Uh, he was sort of America's ex-lover, abandoned because they got too old and their usefulness expired, but still loved enough to protect from the consequences of their actions. And thus ends the saga of Luis Posada Carriles, a man so notorious that he led to the breaking of diplomatic relations between countries on numerous occasions, and was implicated in countless countless failed schemes and plots across Latin America, and some successful ones. I hesitate to say he got away with it, because he didn't. He never overthrew Castro. Sure, he outlived him, but he failed. He And he was chasing that failure, you know, of the Bay of Pigs for his entire life. Yep. Uh, if there's any, like, larger life lesson to draw from this listener, it's uh, to accept your failures and move on, and not spend your entire life trying to overthrow Castro. Well, it's kind of late for that now because Castro's dead. You know what I mean. I don't. I always try to wrap up with like some kind of life lesson, you know, because it feels it feels lame otherwise. Or you could end it with a like a funny joke. All right, hit me. Uh, whose idea was it to kill Castro? The Republicans. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Bill Maher would get along well with Cuban exiles. Specifically this one? Yeah. Oh, fuck. Did I tell you when I hung out with the Cubans in Puerto Rico? That was fucking awesome. Wait, what? I was in Puerto Rico for a day, and um, I had I had like a whole day to kill because I was waiting for them to get my passport, and I'd already checked out of my hotel. So I just wandered around San Juan until I came across this bar that was like a Cuban place, and um, so I just kind of walked Wait, you wandered in. around like with your bags? Yeah. I just had a backpack because I was only there for a day. Oh, that's fair. Yeah. So I just walked into the Cuban bar and um, I ordered a rum and Coke. And I guess that was the right drink because some guy was like, oh, good choice. And I was like, yeah, thanks, bro. And then we, were, we just and then I just somehow was hanging out with these three like 55 year old Cuban guys who were just like complaining about Castro. It was awesome. What did you say? Were you just like, OK, I, w- I, I didn't catch all of it because my Spanish isn't perfect. But I was just like, I was sort of like not, they, they weren't really talking to me. They were talking to each other and I was listening. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> like they weren't that interested in what I had to say. Oh, <laughs> uh, okay. So <laughs> it was mostly just a lot of like, you know, oh, my father had this factory and now he doesn't. It was, it was so cool. <laughs> but uh, it was okay. just like, I was just like day drinking with like the descendants of Cuban exiles. It was fun. Interesting. Yeah. And I, uh, I tried, the, there's this Cuban dish called ropa vieja, old clothes, that's like shredded beef. So fucking good. I want to try it now. It's good. I'll make it for you sometime. It's not that hard. Cool. Yeah. Because the point is, it's like, it's like a, it's like the national dish of Cuba, because it's like not that hard to make. Yeah. 
Anyway, tune in next week for our episode on Max Jurgen, hosted by yours truly, Gabriel. All right. Uh, our theme song is courtesy of SoundCloud.com slash OxbloodOxblood. Our Twitter for show updates is at ApposedPod for however long Twitter lasts. Uh, I'm trying to get a Blue Sky invite, listener. Trust me, I have not gotten one yet. What is Blue uh, Sky? It's like the replacement Twitter uh, founded by the guy who founded Twitter. But it's currently oh, Jack Dorsey? Inv- yeah, but it's currently invite only, so I can't get in. Huh. Uh, listener, I'm if sure you have Twitter's going to last. Listener, if you have a Blue Sky invite... Running on a postpod at gmail.com. We need to get on Blue Sky. I need to be posting with the big boys. I think Twitter will last. I don't know, man. There's, it's just showing me, like, animal murder videos. It's bad, man. Wait, really? Yeah, it's not good. But it still has plenty of users. It does, but advertisers are fleeing it in droves. Because it's just, I like, guess, Nazi but, shit now. <laughs> but plenty of people don't make... Plenty of venture firms don't really make money and still stick around. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, but Twitter was making money. If you never make money, you can get away with it. Because then you can say you will make money in the future. If you used to make money and then stop making money, that's a much harder sell to investors. I guess, because you actively screwed up something good. Yeah. I'm very excited for when Elon uh, uses, for when Ron DeSantis announces uh, his uh, presidential bid in conversation with Elon Musk. Do you really think that's what's going to happen? It might. Wait, why do you say it might? I saw a news thing about it. Huh. I'm, we're going to watch the debates for the podcast, by the way. Oh, absolutely. We're gonna, the primary we're gonna, debates? Um, we're going to, you're going to come over, or I'm going to come over there. We're going to get very drunk, and we're just going to record ourselves talking about the debates. It's going to be fun. <laughs> we should live stream. No, no. We regardless don't of whether Trump shows up or not. Oh, yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring a nice bottle of gin and a bag of ice, and we're going to have some fun. Honestly, it might even, they might be better without Trump. Yeah, because Trump's just got to talk over everyone, and not just that, but it'll be, fu- be. But then you can also get more one-on-ones between guys like, say, uh, Ron DeSantis and Vivek Ramaswamy, and Tim Scott, who I think is also running. Yeah, he is. I, Tim Scott would I feel like would try to be the voice of reason, and people wouldn't listen to him. Yeah, Tim Scott's cool because uh, he talked about his experiences as a black man getting pulled over by the police, and how even though he's literally a United States senator because he's a black man, the police still harass him. And, uh, the and entire, he's still a Republican? And yeah, the entire GOP was like, shut up, you're race banning. <laughs> Even though he's and on some, their side? Yeah, and somehow he's still a Republican. He's just one of the most cucked men in existence, Tim Scott. That feels a little mean. What else do you call that, man? I don't know. Like, you talk about this pretty like tra- traumatic thing that happened to you, and how it was clearly a result of racism, and then your entire party tells you to shut up. That feels really mean. Yeah, it was really, like, it was like, Jesus Christ. He's like, and that's why I support uh, no oversight for the police ever. I feel like Tim Scott's running for vice president rather than president. Oh, absolutely. They all are. All Except of them for are DeSantis. For yeah. All of them are running for vice president. You think Vivek is? Oh, absolutely. Really? You don't think Vivek thinks, or maybe he's just trying to do an Andrew Yang thing to see how far he can get? Yeah, just get his name out there so he could become a national political figure. Yeah. And then maybe he runs for something smaller. Yeah. God, remember when Andrew Yang ran for New York City mayor? Yes, and it looked <laughs> like he was going to win, and then he didn't. He did not look. At no point did it look like he was going to win. No, in the early days, he was up in the polling. Oh, uh, was he? Okay. Yes. I will say, I would have preferred him over Eric Adams. I'm just going to go on record on that one. Barely, but yeah, I, I yeah. probably agree with you. Look, at least he wouldn't be, be hiking the MTA fair again. 
Wait, how? What is it going up to now? It's going up. To, they're they're debate. They're voting on whether or not to raise it to two ninety. What? Yeah, it's already two seventy five. That's a. That's fifteen cents. B. New York has a lot of poor people. Don't make yes, their lives yes, harder. It does. Uh, making poor making poor people's lives harder is kind of Eric Adams' whole political project. Like True. that's kind of his whole thing. <laughs> Is, but like, is there another source of revenue we can tap, like in New York? Like, is there are there certain parts that just have like a lot of money? I mean, we could raise taxes on, or like increase sales taxes, or cut the police funding. I don't know. We could do other things. No, but I mean, is there certain uh, group of people? Are there groups? Are there groups? Are there pockets of wealth in New York? Is what I'm asking. I mean, you know, yeah. so places where people, you know, are there like rich residents in New York? No, no one in New York has money. Oh, okay. All the rich people, every single person with a net worth above uh, four, everyone who makes more than $75,000 a year uh, was murdered in New York City by gangs. I don't know if you knew this. That's just not true. No, it's true. Um, Yeah, everyone in New York, the, the New York City's murder rate is 100%. That's that's pretty much what Lee Zeldin said in his ads for governor, I feel. <laughs> yeah, and then he almost won. Yeah. Yeah. That is kind of what Eric Adams said in his mayoral ads, too. Eric he was Adams like also, everyone in new york city is a murderer he also defended a uh, virtual learning during covid and was like yeah now you could teach up to 400 kids at once yep which definitely is not going to reduce individualized attention and lead to worse outcomes at all the best eric adams moment will always be when he got caught lying about being vegan and then tried to defend it and it's like why what political benefit did you gain from lying about being vegan I was going to say, I don't think that many people are not voting for him because he's a vegan or not. Yeah, exactly. Like, it doesn't, you don't gain anything by pretending to be a vegan. So, like, when he got caught and then was like, oh, I'm a, I'm a vegan, but I cheat sometimes. Like, what? That just means he's authentically insane. <laughs> like, taking his first, what? he took his first paycheck in Bitcoin. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Which is also, like, there's no political benefit to doing that. He's just an authentic crank. Do you remember when? Do you remember when Eric Adams saw a, uh, a guy? I think he was either getting mugged or beat up on the street, and then he called the police. And people on Twitter lost it, and they were like, "This is what being tough on crime looks like." Which I feel like is just the standard response to do when you see someone getting the shit beat out of them on the street. Yeah, that's like normal. You call someone. <laughs> yeah, um, Eric Adams should have personally arrested the guy, even though he's no longer a cop. Yeah, he, he should have pulled out his uh, he should have pulled out his gun that he's he's allowed to carry as a former police officer. Wait, is he actually just, allowed to carry a gun? Former police officers are allowed to carry guns. Yes, that I did not know. Yeah, um, I mean they have to get a license for it, but it's easier than if okay. you're if you were never a police officer. Um, but yeah, he he should pull out his taser and just tase the guy. But with, we should do. I, I'm imagining Death Wish, but with Eric Adams. <laughs> <laughs> They should do make that movie. When Eric Adams, do you remember when he got caught hiring his brother to be the head of some security detail, and then people were like, "Isn't this nepotism?" And he goes, "Yeah, because of white supremacy, you can't trust anyone other than your own kin now as a black man." That was that might be the best Eric Adams moment. That was so fucking baller. <laughs> that was that that moment. I was genuinely like, "Holy shit, he's the most insane mayor we've ever had." I love him. Giuliani wasn't insane as mayor, but he but I'd say he's crazier now. Yeah. But Eric Adams post-mayor. Eric Adams post-mayor is going to go crazy. Don't worry. Maybe. Yeah. His approval rating apparently is under 50% still. Yeah, that checks out. I'm going to look it up. Let's see. His approval rating is 100% in my heart. According to 
Quinnipiac in February. Immigration issues, 39% approval rating. Public schools, 35%. Homelessness, guess how many people approve? 100%. No, 26. Oh, wow. Okay. Which is oddly comforting, knowing that most people don't like his policies towards homeless people. Uh, I guarantee you most people think he's too lenient. Guarantee you. I disagree. Yeah. He's literally having... Isn't he having police at this point just take... Just basically throw homeless people off the subways if they're caught sleeping? Yeah. You ever think about how homelessness, like rampant homelessness, wasn't a huge problem in the U.S. until the mid '80s? I didn't realize it wasn't until the mid '80s, but I do think it's gotten worse. It's entirely a problem created by the Reagan administration and the neoliberal economic reforms of the 1980s. I'm like it it existed beforehand, but it became like a much more sprawling societal problem in the '80s. I'm shocked. Yeah. But, you know, hey, he, he told funny jokes, so therefore he's the best president. He literally once called Michael Dukakis an, an invalid. Okay, that is kind of funny. I can't lie. <laughs> no, but he said it on, t- on television. Oh, yeah. Remember when he just referred to African diplomats as monkeys? And who didn't wear shoes? Yeah. But that was when he was on the phone with Nixon, right? Yeah, I mean, to be fair, that one wasn't public, but, like, still. I think that makes it worse because that shows how he actually felt about them. Yeah. And that's like, oh, yeah, the majority of Americans think that's fine. <laughs> well, I feel like they weren't going to... Well, A, people didn't know about that at the time. And B, they're not going to really raise a huge stink about it because he's been dead for almost 20 years. Yeah, but, like, maybe that should tarnish his legacy a little bit. Whereas I don't think it did with anyone who cares. But most people don't pay attention to politics that closely. Yeah, fair. And also, like, if you told him that, what are they going to do? Say, oh, we can't vote for him again? Yeah. I'm, like, I he's actually- already dead. I actually am voting for Ronald Reagan in 2024. That's who I'm voting for. I, I could see you doing that as a bit. <laughs> I would not do that. All right, I was going to vote off. as a... Yeah, we should. We're yeah. running long here. Uh, I've been Rose. And I'm Gabe. We are running out of post. Join us next Tune week, in next for, week Max for the episode on Max Jurgen. Stay woke, listeners. Have yep. fun. Have fun out there. <laughs>